Lord God, we thank you that just as Jesus prayed to you, so we can pray to you now, asking that your word may indeed be a light to our path and that your spirit might burn within us and fill us with praise for who you are. For the glory of Christ, we pray. Amen. Well, halfway through Lent, and I want to take us back to Ash Wednesday, when in the liturgy for Ash Wednesday we use some very significant words to begin this season of Lent, this season of reflection, this season of taking stock of who we are and where God is calling us to be in the life of his world. And these were the words that I used at the beginning of that service. In these 40 days of Lent, God leads us into a desert of reflection in which we withdraw from getting and spending and desiring, and through fasting from the frenzied feeding of false desires, meditation on God's word, and acts of service, God opens our eyes to Christ's presence in the world and frees us to share in generous love. We need time, space, simplicity in our lives. Enough barrenness to discern the outline of who we are. Lent is a time for clarity, as when the bare boughs of winter show us the shape of the tree in austere beauty. Let us clear away the clutter of our lives in order to see the underlying pattern. And let us follow in the steps of our Saviour, that by sharing his suffering, we may also come to celebrate the joy of his resurrection. I find that a very evocative series of phrases and images, especially the one about the, uh, the fact that in winter the trees are bare and we see their austere beauty, we see their true shape and are able to, by doing so, recognize that here is a time for us to recognize the true shape of who we are and what our lives are about. And I was brought up with quite a, a jolt when my wife came back yesterday from London, having spent uh, three days with our son Matthew and his fiancée and their new baby Hux. And uh, she said, Matthew is just turning into a very loving father, as we knew he would. But the trait that came through to me, that he said that he was experiencing, was being anxious about things. And he said to Sean, 
I think I've got this from my dad. Because <laughs> he's anxious about the fact there was a little bit of a hiccup when the baby was born. And, and then the, you know what it's like when you've got a, a newborn child. You know, everything, if, well, if you have had a newborn child or if you've been a grandparent of one, you know, everything is terribly vulnerable. And, you know, just make sure the head's in the right position, make sure it doesn't get hurt and the cat doesn't jump on it and all this sort of thing. It's just... <laughs> and that uh, doesn't change a lot. But the thing that struck me, I thought, oh, my word. He's learnt to be anxious about things from me. And as I'm being honest with you, and those of you who do know me reasonably well, I am quite anxious about things. Even though I know all the passages and everything else, it's do not worry about this, that and the other, and cast all your anxieties on God because he cares for you. I, I, well, I said I, I know it, but I, I think I might want to say now, I knew it. And now what's happened to me over the last few months is that I've begun to learn what it means to place my anxieties into God's hands and to cast all my cares on him and to find a certain degree of rest in knowing that he, that God, is sovereign over all. And that is something that has really hit me in, and sunk from my head to my heart, partly through the many, many opportunities I've had through the building project and in other reasons to experience, try to handle a lot of unpeace, a lot of worry, a lot of concern, a lot of anxiety about all sorts of things. I wouldn't have had a wink of sleep had I not begun to learn how to handle all that. And so I want to say that I am a disciple who is learning to live the life of rest and trust in the face of the challenges of French, frantic living and of being in a place of worry. And for that I am deeply, deeply grateful <laughs> that God is still teaching me and that I'm in a position where I can learn day by day what that looks like. And I've now come to a place where I can genuinely say, I now know in my heart there's no point worrying about things. Jesus says you can't add a moment to your life by worrying. In fact, you probably get an earlier death if you do. And I've really begun to see, I, yeah, I'm just not, I'm choosing not to worry. And I hope and pray that for Matthew, my son, he will also be on that journey. And maybe I can tell him something about that, what's happened in my life, what I've learned after 60 years of going through being a disciple of Jesus and beginning to learn something very important. The thing about Jesus, of course, is that he does model as well as teach how to live a life of rest and peace. You remember those words which I just read from Matthew chapter 11. He said, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, heavy laden, super stressed, as we might say, and I will give you rest. 
I'll replace that stressiness and weariness, world weariness, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. I pondered that verse many, many times in different ways. And one thing that's really helped me to understand that is the fact that that word, uh, when he says, take my yoke upon you, the word for yoke is what was used by the rabbis and of the rabbis for their teaching. Of course, it has the sense of being yoked with a, another oxen and you carry it along the side and you share that work with the, the other oxen, is the original context. But they used to talk of the yoke of the teaching of the rabbis. So in other words, Jesus is saying, take my yoke, take my teaching upon you. Take what I'm showing you by my life and by my words and make that your own. And not only make it your own, don't only listen to it, but learn from me. There's a world of difference between hearing what Jesus is saying, what another person is saying, and actually learning from it, isn't there? You know, I'm not interested in whether you hear what I say. All I'm interested in is what you are learning from what I'm saying. So if you go out of this church and you say, oh, it's a really interesting sermon, I can't remember. I remember he talked about his grandson and he was really worried about things. You probably remember that. But what have you learnt from this 15 minutes or so? What have you learnt from God about how to live life yourself and about how to be in relationship with him? But that's the question. Learn from Jesus. For I am, he says, gentle and humble in heart. In other words, he's someone who doesn't force things, force his teaching on us. He's gentle, he's understanding, he knows our frailties, and he's humble in heart. And that is the great characteristic of our amazing God, that he would humble himself, become human, and even become obedient unto death, as Paul says, in Philippians. He was so ready to take the lowest place for the sake of others. And that's what we are learning from Jesus, learning how to be a person in that frame of mind so we are teachable and we are able to learn. And it's then, he says, you will begin to find that rest and peace for your inner being, your souls. But the great thing is that Jesus didn't only model humility and gentleness. He modeled something which the great writers of theology and, and uh, insights that we have over the centuries identify as the key to entering into a more restful, peace-filled life. And that is the discipline of thankfulness. The discipline of thankfulness. Look at our values. Thankfulness, graciousness, openness, prayerfulness. Thankfulness is at the top of the tree. And if you read before those words before uh, Jesus says those words in verse 28 of 
Matthew 11. In verse 25, Jesus is recorded as saying, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden these things, that is, all the, the, the wisdom that uh, God has for us in our lives. You've hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children, that is, to those who are teachable, those who have a hunger for learning. You really want to know how to spell deciduous. <laughs> My granddaughter was battled with recently. But they want to learn it. They want to find out more. They'll Google things and everything else. You know, it's, it's just a hunger for learning. So little children, you've revealed them to those people who have that openness. You've hidden them from those who think they've got it sorted. Because God's wisdom is wiser than the foolishness of man. But the point I'm making here is that Jesus begins this prayer to the Father with praise, with thanksgiving, for who God is, for who God is. And the more we can be caught up with thanksgiving and praise for who God is, the more weight there is given to peace and rest. And the less weight is given on anxiety and fear. As we see God is getting bigger and bigger in our lives, so our problems and our anxieties will get smaller and smaller. This is what Jesus is modeling. This is what we can learn as we come to him. And if you've read the... Uh, sent an article in our Christchurch life. You might have read of Peter Moore. Some of you will know him very well. And his article that he spoke about brought up his disability. He's suffering with the same chronic motor neurone disease as that which Martin Brown had and died from. Peter Moore, it's a much slower process but he is totally incapacitated in a wheelchair, and yet he still comes to open church every Tuesday. He still is able to speak and to pray. And my goodness, that man, I remember, prayed for Sean and me when Sean was going through a huge medical crisis in a way that was so full of love. And I know he was committed to doing that for weeks and months. Anyway, if you read in what he said, you will see an example of someone who has learned to see God big. Let me just quote from what he says. So recounting these events, I'm not wanting to draw conclusions about how God deals with prayers for physical healing today, but going through a relentless and debilitating disease with no remission, I can be definite that God's grace is sufficient. <laughs> going through what he's had. He can be definite that God's grace is sufficient, that God will never leave us, and that along the way we catch sight of his mercy, maybe in unexpected ways, and that on the other side of the valley of death there is the saviour of the world who has prepared a place for us. And so, Peter writes, we can trust God completely, and he will never fail us. He will supply all our needs 
according to his riches in Christ Jesus. Those are the examples, those are the lives that I can learn from if I'm ready to be open to that. I can learn from Christ in Peter more and I begin to understand not how to trust or how to get rid of worry but I begin to see God in a far bigger way than I'd ever done before. Remember those words in Psalm 46, be still and know that I am God. We find our stillness as we recognize who God is. It's an incredibly important lesson to learn. And that, just touching very briefly on that other passage that we read from Acts 16, was the fruit of the learning that Paul and Silas had done. That they knew that the doorway into rest and peace was thanksgiving and praise as they rejoiced in, in God, in their stocks, in the prison cells. And it enabled them not only to be those who were able to be at peace in that persecution, but they also in turn become influences or examples or people others could learn from in that prison cell. This is ministry in prisons. Because when the jailer woke up, was just about to stab himself and kill himself, Paul cried out, we are all here, don't harm yourself. We are all here. Meaning, not only Paul and Silas were still there, but all the other prisoners were there. Why were all the other prisoners there? Why hadn't they said, oh, we're free, we're out of here, get on, and run for their freedom? But no, they were still there too. The reason was because they, they had been captivated by these two men of God who had shown them what it meant to be at peace in the place of incredible anxiety. And they wanted to be with them and learn from them. And the jailer himself said, what, what must I do to be saved, to be healed, to find this peace that you've got and this capacity to praise that I haven't? And Paul and Silas showed them and they were baptized and then spread to his family and all those others in his whole household then baptized, whether they were children or adults, we don't know. But it had that incredible effect of influencing others and learning and living a life that others could learn from and find the secret to finding rest in Jesus. Psalm 62 says, My soul finds rest in God alone. My salvation comes from him. Oh, that I could say that completely and wholeheartedly. That's what I'm working towards. Thank God I'm learning 
to live that life bit by bit. But God's got a work in progress. And I'm thankful that he hasn't given up yet and never will. So let me conclude just by saying three things that we tried to communicate this morning. Hopefully we can all learn. Firstly, your life matters because you can influence others because your life has a transforming effect on others for good or for ill. Secondly, a disciple is one who is learning to live the life, learning an ongoing thing. Progress is being made day by day. And thirdly, we are learning from Jesus as we come to him, look at his life and hear his teaching. We can rejoice with thankfulness that will lead to restfulness. Amen.